0: Welcome to the BioCurious Podcast with your host, Kayla Osterhoff. As a health scientist, biohacker, and generally curious person, I'm always looking for new ways to optimize and integrate mind, body, and spiritual health. I created this podcast to explore the magic and science of human biology and expand your consciousness through learning. If you enjoy the episode that you're about to hear, please leave a review and share it with someone who can benefit from the information. Now let's get curious.
1: Hi, my name is Marissa and I'm the new intern on the BioCurious podcast team. In today's episode, Dr. Amy Killen will talk about increasing longevity, tips and tricks on how to get clear skin, optimizing sexual function, and there is a Q&A at the end to look out for. Dr. Killen worked 10 years in the ER and is now an advocate for empowering patients to look and feel their best. This episode is lighthearted and packed full of information. I hope you enjoy and learn something new.
0: Dr. Amy Killen, welcome to the BioCurious podcast, and thank you so much for joining me.
2: Thank you. This is a a kind of a new uh, way of doing it for me, so I am interested to see how this goes.
0: Awesome. So... Before we dive into all the juicy topics today, for those of you who are not familiar with Dr. Amy Killen, she is an anti-aging and regenerative medicine physician who specializes in sexual optimization, aesthetics, and longevity medicine. And today we are gonna talk about sex amongst other exciting health optimization topics. So Amy, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got into this field of work?
2: Yeah. So my background is I was actually an emergency physician for about 10 years. So I'm board certified in emergency medicine, worked in an ER for 10 years ish, um, including training. And towards the end of that, I had um, three kids within two years and I had a lot of things going on sort of personally. And I started seeing that I was, you know, I was under a lot of stress. I was having a lot of issues myself. And I started seeing that a lot of people who are coming into the emergency department to get seen were actually having similar problems, just like chronic diseases, fatigue, you know, weight gain, just having a hard time kind of surviving the day. And I realized that as much as I liked the emergency department, that I wanted to actually learn some new things that would help me get healthier and then help you know patients like that get healthier. So I sort of did this 180 where I, I over the course of a couple of years, um, went back to school, did a fellowship and essentially got really interested in integrative medicine, preventative medicine, and then eventually regenerative medicine using things like stem cells and other regenerative therapies to, uh, to treat You know patients and to prevent illnesses and then later on eventually specialized um, in like longevity skin and sexual health using those modalities
0: that is so exciting and i am so excited to dive into these topics with you as it's definitely front of mind for the field of biohacking and for all the biohackers here listening i know that they're excited to learn from you so as the title suggests We must talk about sex and skin and how to improve both, but first I was just wondering your thoughts about this topic of longevity. I'm sure that you have noticed, just like I have, that there is something that comes up a lot in the biohacking world, which is the concept that we may be able to actually live forever, and that aging is actually more of a disease than a natural process. So what are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think that thinking of aging as a disease is definitely Something that a lot of us have started to do, um, you know, thanks to David Sinclair and people like that who are writing books about how, you know, all these diseases that are out there, so many of them are really just because of aging. And if we can reverse many of the pathways that lead to aging, then all of a sudden we're not going to have as much cancer and heart disease and strokes and you know all these things. So I think it's a really interesting field That I am optimistic. I don't know if we can live forever, but I at least think that we can get you know a good twenty or thirty or forty years. Um, and more importantly is this idea, of course, of expanding health span, even if we don't expand lifespan. So staying healthier longer, staying robust, you know, doing all the things you want to do.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I don't know that I personally care about living longer, but I do want to live and be as healthy as possible and maybe even healthier every day until the day that I die. That's kind of my dream. As of now, you know, as a society, we really have accepted and bought into the concept that aging across the lifespan looks like a bell curve as, as far as health goes right so you know we reach peak health maybe somewhere in our 30s 40s or 50s and then from there it's like a sliding slope down where you get kind of sicker and sicker or less healthy until eventually you die but i don't see why we could not keep it escalating and going up and up and up, becoming healthier and healthier. And then, you know, one day we could die. But wouldn't that kind of be (laughs) amazing? Yeah, that
2: that whole uh, you're healthy and all of a sudden you fall off a cliff and, yeah. and you're not you're not alive is kind of the that's the dream I think. <laughs> I mean, it's a weird dream, but I think that's the dream.
0: Yeah, I, it is a weird dream, but it's definitely <laughs> my dream. <laughs> so I was curious, what do you see in your patient population as like the biggest drivers of aging and disease?
2: I think for for. I mean, it's obviously it's a lot of things, but certainly the inflammatory component, just inflammation as a whole is driving so many diseases. And that's, of course, caused by all different things from stress to diet to lack of exercise and all of this lack of sleep. I think that as a as a whole, we're all becoming more and more inflamed. And of course, and then that leads to you know everything from atherosclerosis to Alzheimer's to cancer to everything else.
0: Oh yeah. I always say that um, inflammation is both the cause and effect of disease. So it's just like this nasty cycle that sometimes it can be really hard to get out of. So if you have somebody come to you and all of their biomarkers are just singing, Hey, I'm inflamed. Where do you start? What do you look for?
2: No, you know, we, we tend to start with the basics. I think a lot of us have a hard time with the basics. And so just starting with, you know, what are you eating? And are you exercising? And, you know, how much sleep are you getting? And how good is it? Um, you know, how much stress do you have? How are you dealing with it? Like those kind of things, you, you really want to work on the foundations. And then, and then adding on to that maybe some supplements um, or medications if needed. Um, and then, you know, and then later on adding some of the other sort of fancy procedures that I do, the, the, the stem cell procedures and such. But, but I, I don't tend to do those procedures on people who are already fairly sick as far as inflamed, because a lot of times they just don't work as well. So we really have to kind of go back to the roots, you know, look at the hormones, look at all of those sort of foundational things
0: first. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so if somebody comes to you who is relatively healthy, maybe they're a biohacker, um, a health optimizer already, and they want to enhance their longevity or quality of life, like what is the first step that you take with them? Or like, where do you say we need to first look at this? So I
2: specifically at this time do procedures that are improving um, skin health, hair health, so hair restoration or just Mm -hmm. hair health and sexual health and those are the things that I've really focused on as far as the regenerative procedures the stem cells and and other you know energy devices and such mm. so my patient population you know usually is coming to me with with you know wanting help with one of those specific things i do have another another practice where we do sort of broader integrative medicine and we do hormones and things like that but right now i i'm really focusing on those sort of skin and sex um, areas so most people i get you know most of them are actually pretty healthy because they're people who have found me because they have you know, watched a lot of videos or they've seen my procedures with Dave Asprey or Ben Greenfield or people who are already healthy. And so they don't tend to come to me super unhealthy and inflamed, Mm -hmm. which is a good starting point for me.
0: Yeah. I think that would be, um, definitely a more fun population (laughs) to work with, even though they may not be the most, um, needy as far as, as help with their health. But, it's always fun to help people optimize their health um, rather than kind of dig out of a, a sick place. So I love that you focus on that. And so before we dive into skin and sex, I'm just curious, is there something that anyone listening here could do at home for free that would actually help them to enhance their longevity?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, again, it's, it's the foundational things to start with. Um, I think that we've learned more and more about, you know, how to eat, like caloric restriction, for instance, is something that we know at this point is associated with increased longevity. Um, so just not eating as much food um, or intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding or things like that where, where you're watching what you're eating and you're, and you're doing that in a way uh, purposely to try to live longer. That's free. It's actually even less than free because it it doesn't cost you the cost of food. Um, (laughs) You know, we obviously know things about exercise and how great that is. But, you know, all of these kinds of things that we talk about that your grandmother probably told you about sleeping well, eating well, um, not stressing out as much as you as you were. Those are all associated with longevity for sure. And all of that stuff is free. So that's where that's where you got to start.
0: So what is your like personal health practice look like, especially around stress? You're a busy mom, entrepreneur, and you are a medical doctor and you have lots of patients and you do podcasts and you speak and you travel. How do you do it all?
2: Um, Sometimes not very well, but I I do a few things. I get up pretty early, usually six or so in the morning. I take the first hour of the day just to myself. And it's usually just me alone. I try to use that time to to read, to educate myself, to learn something new that I can pass on, which to me is, is something I love doing. So that's that's sort of my time. Then once my kids are up and they're kind of taken care of, I will make sure I exercise and I do everything from you know yoga practices to weight training, um, cardio. I hike a lot, get outside a lot, which I, I love. Um, but taking some time to do that, I think is important. Um, and then, you know, I, I don't have a lot of fancy contraptions. Honestly, I have, I do cold weather. Like I'll do like my cold plunges include like just going out in the, you know, in the snow and in my sports bra and going on a hike or, you know, things like that. It's not like I have a chambers in my house. Um, but I do, you know, if I have access to those things, I'll do it. I do like red light therapy a lot. So I'll do some of that sometimes. Um, but, you know, honestly, it's it's mostly about just trying to um, take a few minutes during my day, you know, do a brief meditation in between craziness. Uh, but I don't actually have, uh, big practices that are expensive or or things like that in my life.
0: Mm, I love that. And that's really important. I think for folks to hear, I think, um, a lot of times we get shiny object syndrome, especially in the field of biohacking, I'm with you. I don't have any of those fancy contraptions. I do have a little red light panel at home um, and a couple of things like that. But my biggest device, and you know, maybe this is because I'm a data nerd and a health scientist, is actually personal data collection devices. So just wearing my bio strap to actually measure how well did I sleep? What is my heart rate variability? How well rested am I so that I can make better health decisions so for me it's kind of like data to drive my health decisions and that doesn't that isn't fancy it doesn't take all that fancy biotech so do you wear any wearables or anything like that
2: I have a Garmin watch that I wear that doesn't collect everything, but it does do heart rate and, you know, steps and miles and things like that. Um, And I, other than that, I I don't know why I don't have anything. I I do very much believe in gathering data, but for some reason, I've not gotten to the point where I feel like I need to do that, (laughs) which which I probably should.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but also you have access to the knowledge and all the tools to keep yourself healthy. So I think that goes a long way and maybe... You don't need the data, or at least not not for now.
2: That's uh, what I tell myself. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> and you're busy anyway. <laughs> so let's dive into the juicy stuff, the reason why the people are here. Let's first talk about skin. So how can we attain and maintain that youthful, glowing skin that we are all hoping to have?
2: So again, start with the basics. But if you're after you've got that dialed in, that's sort of the main things I recommend for everyone. And I get I get some pushback from my biohacker friends and patients, but I recommend sunblock every single day, at least on your face. Um, whether or not you want to put it other places, up to you. I'm a big advocate of sun uh, in general and other parts of the body and making sure you get your vitamin D and all of that. But we know that the sun uh, is the number one cause of skin aging. So, if you care about your skin aging on your face, neck, hands, places like that that are getting a lot of sun, then I really encourage you to wear sunblock I like a mineral sunblock um, it's gonna not get absorbed and it's it's very safe so sunblock every day uh, for people over thirty or so I also recommend doing some sort of retinoid every night before bed so that's you know things like retinol which you can get over the counter or you can get stronger retinoids um, through a doctor's office that's there's actually great data behind that uh, and then I also recommend other like antioxidants topically like vitamin a vitamin C vitamin E you know other um, resveratrol, CoQ10, some of the things that can help your skin to um, to uh, not get so overwhelmed by all of the oxidative stress, the sunlight, the pollution, all of those things that cause damage. Um, so those are some easy first steps that I recommend for everyone. And then certainly beyond that, there's all kinds of different things we can do with microneedling and different lasers and, and stem cells and PRP and, you know, exosomes and all of the kind of fancy stuff. But again, kind of starting with a good foundation of, of skin health is really important.
0: Yeah. So tell us a little bit, I think there, there's people really interested in some of that fancy stuff. So, um, some of the things that have really come to the forefront in my purview are definitely microneedling PRP and exosomes. So maybe we could just start there.
2: Yeah, so microneedling has been around for a while and that is something that you can probably, almost anyone can get. Probably anywhere, um, med spas, doctors' offices. It's basically a little device that has maybe ten small little needles, and it, the needles all go up and down really fast at the same time, and they only go about one and a half to two millimeters deep. So what what we can do with that is essentially create these little tiny micro channels all over your whole you know your whole face, your whole neck, wherever you treat, um, and that those channels do two things. One thing that they do is just the trauma, the mild trauma from the micro needling, causes your Fibroblasts, your skin cells, to increase collagen production, elastin production, hyaluronic acid production. These are all parts of skin that, after age 25-ish, uh, we stop making as much of. Like every year, you make less and less and less, uh, which is, you know, very uh, <laughs> discouraging. But um, so the the microneedling, your body essentially thinks it's gone, it's had some kind of trauma, and when that happens, it decides it has to repair itself, and so it's kind of tricking your your skin into repairing itself. Um, that's something you can do, you know, I, I tell people if you can do that a couple of times a year, uh, that's fantastic for just continuing to increase that collagen production over time. And then the things you can add to the microneedling, traditionally it's been done with, with things like um, vitamin C serum or hyaluronic acid or other things like that where you essentially do the microneedling and then you can apply whatever sort of serum on top of the skin. And because you've created these channels, you have this ability to you know, kind of suck that serum into the deeper layers of skin. So it's, it provides a means of getting topicals deeper into the dermis where they can actually work. Um, so that's been done for a long time and you can do that kind of thing, even at like a med spa or something like that. More recently, probably in the last eight years or so, we've been using plate leverage plasma, which is PRP and most of you guys probably already know what that is, but that's been around for a while. Essentially, take, we actually take blood from the patient, we spin it or centrifuge it, and we isolate the platelets into the serum. So you have all these platelets, they're super strong and concentrated, and you're just using that and applying that after the microneedling. Or you can also inject that as well into the skin. And the, what that does is those platelets, they have a lot of growth factors within them, and when you when they get released into your skin, it essentially triggers this, again, this kind of response that tells your body that it's been injured. So it's the same kind of idea. So you get you know you get stem cells recruited, you get activation of fibroblasts, you're creating um, more of that collagen and elastin. So PRP is a great additive to something like microneedling. Um, and then more recently, we've been using things like stem cells or exosomes in addition to the PRP, which is, is going to be a little bit fancier, more expensive, but also seems to have more of a regenerative kind of benefit.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's fascinating. And it's something I have yet to dive into myself. Um, I am curious though for, I know there's a lot of women especially, and I've definitely struggled with this, who have some level of hormonal acne going on. And so I know that there are a lot of risks with doing especially something like microneedling when you have acne going on because you could spread some of that bacteria. What would be something you would recommend for folks who are struggling with that?
2: Uh, well, the first thing it would be to try to get the hormones, you know, in in place. And oft- oftentimes, acne, uh, in women at least, you know, if it's, if it's after adolescence, a lot of times it's due to too much testosterone or too much DHT, which is another hormone that gets made from testosterone. Um, we, you can also see it with just stress, obviously, too much cortisol, um, high sugar diets, things like that. Uh, we also see it a lot in like polycystic ovarian syndrome. But you know, getting control of the reason for the acne is obviously important. Um, as you're doing that, you can do some things like laser treatments, for instance. There are some different lasers out there that can be great. You can do like a, a non-ablative um, fractional laser at kind of a low setting, and that could be helpful for kind of killing the bacteria that are causing the acne um, and, and helping to let your body be able to heal that without spreading that, you know those bacteria all over your face.
0: And I couldn't agree with you more with the hormones. I think a lot of the time we are overstressed and overtaxed and we don't realize it. And our skin is trying to communicate this to us, but we like to ignore it and blame it on other things. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) definitely. So another thing I wanted to ask you about is you posted a really interesting post about graying hair um the other day and so could you talk about that a little bit one what causes graying hair how do we prevent it and two definitively it sounds like you've kind of come up with your stance can we reverse graying hair (laughs)
2: <laughs> so what causes it is there's actually there's a number of different things that cause gray hair. Obviously, genetics is a big piece of it. Um, it's one of those things that if one of your parents has early onset gray hair, then there's about a 50 percent chance that you'll have it as well because it's autosomal dominant, which basically means it's it's a it's highly hereditary. Um, but that's just one cause of it. Other things that, that cause it, there's a there's a, any kind of inflammation or oxidation um like reactive oxygen species essentially that are at the hair follicle over time can cause problems it can cause you can essentially get hydrogen peroxide that can't break down and that causes this oxidative stress um, which over time essentially leads to the uh the melanin the melanin producing cells being unable to make melanin, and melanin is what gives your gives your hair pigment. So that you know that stress can be all different things, including actual stress, which is why you know we've seen uh, presidents and things in the past who have uh, developed gray hair because of being in office. Uh, it really can happen just with stress, but you can also other things like inflammatory disorders, like chronic diseases. There's a link between viruses and chronic chronic illnesses and causing gray hair because of the immune system actually interacts directly with the these melanin producing cells, so it's kind of interesting. Um, There's also a link between pollution, smoking, alcohol consumption, um, even UV radiation from the sun, all of those things, as well as nutritional deficiencies. So for instance, B12 deficiency, um, vitamin D3, copper protein deficiency, um, all of that. And then finally, thyroid is a big one as well. So too little or too much thyroid can cause graying. And the good thing about that is that once you fix a thyroid problem, it's possible the graying actually will reverse on its own. Mm. If you can catch it early enough and get your, you know, and get the problem fixed, then it oftentimes will reverse. So those are sort of the, you know, big categories of things that can cause graying hair. But genetics is a big, you know, it's a big part of it. And is not always, it doesn't always end up being reversible that way.
0: Mm, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think um, kind of those micronutrient status are something that is often overlooked. And a lot of those things are also cofactors in the citric acid cycle which um, if we remember back to probably elementary school is the last time that most people have taken a look at the Krebs cycle, right? And that um, (laughs) ends up being in charge of your energy levels because that is at the end of that is when you're producing your ATP, which powers your cells. So I think that's oftentimes overlooked And sometimes kind of brushed under the rug as maybe not as important, but it has so much to do with our energy metabolism, but also our stress and adrenals and all of that. So I love that you bring that into it as well.
2: Yeah, and, and to answer your second question, which I forgot to answer, which was, can we reverse it? Um, the short answer is not easily, mm-hmm. but the longer answer is maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are there are some things that have been shown, at least in small studies, to reverse gray. There's a number of medications actually that have, have been shown, but most of them have some pretty big side effects. And there, you know, it was like, you know, cancer patients who are taking a certain drug or, or, um, or people who are taking like Parkinson's patients taking a certain drug that just happened to see that their hair color reversed because they were on that drug, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't mm-hmm. want to take that drug, you know, just to, co- to, just to change your hair. Um, there are some B vitamins uh, like uh, calcium pantothenate, as well as Paba, which actually have a couple of studies behind them that have shown some benefit in some people in reversing them. And uh, there's some some evidence that stem cells, uh, it's like just infusions of IV stem cells actually could potentially reverse graying in some people. There's a few peptides out there that are really interesting that are um, that have been studied and have more and more data kind of accumulating on them that are being used currently in some of the topical applications that are out there to reverse this. To reverse, and I think probably the best way to do it, honestly, is if we can try to slow aging in general with all these sort of longevity practices that we talk about, Mm -hmm. then we're going to be able to see a slowing of gray hair because it's all related, right? It's all oxidative stress. It's all inflammation. So that's probably the best way to do it at this point is just really try to slow aging in general.
0: Mm. I love that there's a chance that we can do this. So I'm glad that your definitive answer is not no. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, I'm very lucky genetically. uh, Neither of my parents have had premature graying and my mom still doesn't have very much so I'm hopeful that I won't have very much gray hair but as a blonde we can get away with it a little bit (laughs) exactly yeah the
2: older I get the blonder I get I'm like oh yeah I'll just go I'll just keep going blonder and blonder and then no one's going to notice if I get gray hair
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes that's our (laughs) biohack exactly (laughs) um (laughs) okay so before we dive into the topic of sex i have a question that was sparked by what you were saying there so peptides have taken the stage everybody's talking about peptides what is your opinion or like maybe like a little peptide 101 for folks who are not super familiar but i know that they've heard this buzzword going around what are they for how do they work and what would be like a place to start for folks who want to explore
2: so peptides are basically just really short, very small proteins. They're just like a piece of a protein. Um, and proteins, you know, are big and complex, but peptides are a lot lot smaller. They've they're they've been around for forever. Like, this is not something necessarily new. Like, for instance, insulin, which, you know, has been around for forever, is a peptide. And it's also an FDA-approved drug. So there are peptides that are FDA-approved drugs, like insulin, and then there are also peptides that are, um, that are you know, not currently approved drugs, but they are... They are still being used and these are peptides that are essentially similar to, to peptides that we already have in our bodies. So those are the ones that are the most interesting to the people sort of in this, in this community of biohackers and such is, is can we take something, whether it's do an injection like subcutaneously or take a capsule that has a peptide that has a specific action, a very specific action that is the similar, you know, similar to something that I already have in my body, or the same. Um, that's going to induce some sort of benefit. So, for instance, uh, one of the more common ones that people often start with is something called BPC157, mm-hmm. um, and they all have these strange names. They're all like letters and numbers. Like it's, it's, you know, it's kind of hard to remember them all. But, um, but BPC157 is a peptide that is found in the gut, and or you know, the, the actual protein is found in the gut, and it's it's really great for a lot of things for reducing inflammation it's been used for um, for helping with musculoskeletal pain and kind of helping to heal injuries Uh, it can be helpful for improving gut health it can even be helpful potentially for increasing hair growth or skin health or things like that through its sort of inflammation pathways. So every peptide, and I don't know you know, enough about all of them. I know about the key ones that I use, but there's, you know, every peptide is kind of like a medication. Like it's, it's, it's used in the same kind of ways, but they're targeting specific pathways in your body. And we, you know, you can essentially get them through doctors who know how to do peptides.
0: Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know there's a lot of people out there who kind of go rogue and buy all the peptides from online someplace and start using them. So I would prefer uh, that folks find a doctor who knows what they're doing, because as you mentioned, they're used in the same way that medications are and, you know, you definitely want to be careful and understand what you're doing to your body. Um, yeah, and you don't know
2: yeah. what you're getting. I mean, I've honestly looked into some of those different research, pep- you know, they're all research peptides, like right. not for human consumption, just just for research. Um, but of course, everyone buys them to put in their own bodies. But I've looked into them uh, just as a consumer to see like, what do these companies, what are they doing and what can they promise? And, and it's a little difficult to know, you know, they all have like similar websites, they all make similar promises. But, but no one is really overseeing that. It's like, you know, it's like supplements. No one's overseeing it. The FDA is not involved uh, currently in most of those, although they're getting more and more and more involved in peptides. So you just gotta be careful about who you're buying these things from because you're literally injecting them into your own body. Uh, so you don't wanna yeah. make a mistake.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, that's where this whole DIY biohacking, I don't know about it. Uh, I like to stick with, with the experts who know what they're doing.
2: <laughs> yeah, I agree
0: okay so the time has come let's dive into sex so how exactly do you support your patients in sexual optimization
2: well i tend to get people that are you know probably 35 30 35 to you know maybe 55 or 60 um, who have some issues that are either age related or maybe potentially like post childbirth related essentially or you know have have sex lives that are not as satisfying as they used to be because of either age or, or sort of natural processes. Or I get sort of these biohacker people who come in because they want to optimize you know, sexual function. They don't really have a lot of problems, but they're like, can we prevent problems from coming later on? Um, can we make things better, even though they're pretty good to begin with? So I, those are my two kind of patient populations, men and women. I treat both uh, equally, actually. And I, you know, I do a lot of different things. It depends on kind of what the problem is, but we'll look at everything from hormonal health and making sure that, that is where it needs to be. Um, and and you know, lifestyle and all of that, of course, is very important. And then, and then they, I go on to sort of do these energy devices or, or regenerative devices. So I do, a lot, I, I do a lot of injections with either the, the person's own stem cells or exosomes, which exosomes essentially are like little bubbles of information with growth factors and microRNA and such. And they come from full term babies, umbilical cord cells or, or placenta. And so we're essentially getting these growth factors from uh, these placental stem cells. And we can use those almost in a similar way to the patient's own stem cells. Or I can use those in, you know, kind of together. So I will inject the male or female with, with these things, injecting the penis uh, or injecting the clitoris and the vaginal wall, kind of where the G-spot is, um, with these regenerative things. And then I'll combine that in a lot of times with something like shockwave therapy, um, or gains wave uh, which is very common. You- people have probably heard about it at this point, but I'll do that for men. Um, and I'll, and for women, I've actually, actually will do shockwave therapy as well, uh, or vaginal lasers, uh, which can be really effective as well. Um, and then I'll give them think, kind of tools and uh, think homework to take home with them. I'll give people penises, penis pumps and vaginal red light therapy for home. And I have all kinds of like the bag of things I give people to take home with them is, uh, it's pretty impressive. So those are kind of things people come to me for And, and then I'll, I'll send them home with some things to do at home.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So with all of these things, is the goal to improve sexual function or is it to improve the actual sexual organs or a combination of the both? Like, for instance, with a red red light um, or lasers in my vagina, I'm not sure I know what the goal is there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so the goal, it depends on the problem, obviously. Okay. But in general, like, for instance, for men, I have a lot of men who come in with erectile dysfunction or or mild you know concerns in that area and what we're trying to do and what we see is that we see increase in uh in blood vessel formation and so increase in blood flow increase um in the health of the cells within the penis so the smooth muscle cells that make up the corpus cavernosum which are the tubes that are you know within the penis that fill with blood we can make those healthier so that you can, ex- that tissue can expand better. Um, we can see, you know, at least in animal studies, we've seen repair of uh, nerve injuries mm-hmm. in in um, rats that have had uh, nerve injuries in the penis. So we can see improvements in sensation. So, you know, so men can see things like improvements in um, ability to get erections, in firmness of erections, in sort of uh, ability to get erections again. So that refractory period can be reduced um, sensation, you know, improved orgasms, things like that. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, we're looking to, we're try, we're trying to improve everything, mm-hmm. but the mechanism is um, improving the health of the tissue that's there, as well as increasing blood flow to the area.
0: Okay, good. So for women, this is the same goal where you're just trying to improve the health of the tissue and help women maybe achieve orgasm. Uh, easier, or more often, or more strongly?
2: All of those things, yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's,
0: it's,
2: you know, it's also arousal, like, are we can we improve vaginal lubrication if that's a problem um and also in in women i see a lot of stress urinary incontinence so women who have you know urine leaking when they jump on a trampoline or cough or sneeze or run or things like that and that's something that happens with aging or it happens um after childbirth or it just happens it's very common and so if we can for instance with the o shot which is the procedure where i'm injecting sort of that g-spot anterior vaginal wall if because i'm injecting right underneath the urethra if we can kind of build that tissue up a little bit, like get a little bit more collagen, a little bit more blood flow in there. It helps to support the urethra, and we actually can see improvements in stress urinary incontinence. So it's not all about um, this, you know, the pleasure piece, although that's a big part of it. It's also about keeping those those tissues as healthy and youthful as we can, so that they are able to serve the patient, you know, well over time.
0: Yeah. So, you know, we've we've heard about, you know, even old school from our mom, maybe, or even our grandma, that we should do our Kegels to keep everything um, strong, the muscles in our pelvic floor so that, you know, some of these things with especially having urinary incontinence don't happen. Um, So even with those practices, um, do you see a lot of people still experience some of these issues?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, Kegels can certainly go so far um, and I, and I highly recommend doing them, but uh, you know, they can still, people can still have problems. There are actually a lot of really cool things though, that I can tell, I tell my patients or people like, you know, like on, on podcasts that you can do at home outside of Kegels. Like there are a number of, of um, devices, for instance, there are TENS units that you can buy that are intravaginal TENS units that, you know, what TENS is, it's the, the, the mm-hmm. transcutaneous muscle you know, electrical stimulation. And essentially this, this little device just goes inside the vagina and for like 10 minutes while you're just kind of resting, it stimulates the pelvic floor muscles to contract. And so it's like Kegels on steroids, like it's very strong contractions or it can be, um, but it can really improve those muscles in a, in a much faster way than just doing Kegels on your own. Um, so those are great devices like the intensity device or the apex device are two that you can buy that are, you know, available to, um, to most people that you could do that at home. Um, and red light therapy can be helpful as well for that. And then there are a number of different apps out there that are sort of these gamified key goals where you can, um, you know, you essentially put a probe inside and then you have your phone and it's like, you're playing frogger, like with your vagina or, I mean, it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually pretty, it's pretty funny, but, um, <laughs> so those are, those are great ways to kind of, you know, you're you're tracking, you're quantifying, you're making it fun um, to keep those those tissues as healthy as they can be.
0: I love that. And actually, that's something that I want to look into because if there's something we can do at home, especially making our efforts stretch longer or be more beneficial for us, I'm all about it. So (laughs) yeah, so thank you for that.
2: Just so you know, for those of you like you who like to track things, there's a new vibrator It's called the lioness and you essentially use it to track your orgasms, like how strong they are, how long they're lasting. And you can, the idea behind it is to kind of, you know, if you have like an aura ring or whatever, and you're tracking other things in your life, like your stress and your diet and all of these things. And if you can also track, you know, how those, those, different things in your life are affecting your ability to orgasm and and your pleasure and such because they give you little charts and graphs and they tell you like how this one compared to last one and it's like a whole thing. So it's kind of the first of its kind. And I think for the people who love to track things, that it might be kind of fun.
0: That is one uh, personal data collection device that I can probably get my partner on board with.
2: (laughs) I think so, I think you can.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So awesome. So I wanna ask you um, two questions that I like to ask all of my podcast guests before we open up to the audience for questions. We already have a few people lined up. stay there keep your hands raised I promise I will call you up in just a minute so the first one is um, what does your morning routine look like that sets you up for success for the day I know you already kind of went through the the basics but is there anything else that you specifically do every day to set you up for success for the day
2: yeah the, yeah, the main thing that I do every morning is I try to do a couple of minutes of just completely quiet by myself kind of looking out at the city I can kind of see city lights from my From my living room and just trying to be kind of meditative and quiet and sort of clear my mind a little bit Um, and then i do the hour of trying to learn new things and during that hour a big part of it is is trying to not only learn new things but digest it and sort of compress it in a way that I can teach someone else, whether that's my kids or my husband or my Instagram followers or, you know, essentially trying to make sense of whatever it is I learned in a way and kind of put it in my own language so that I don't forget it. Um, I'm always trying to, you know, remember new things. So that's a big part of, um, I think, what's helpful in the mornings. And then and then I spend time with my with my family when they wake up and, you know, kind of have breakfast and things like that. And I think that if, I, if all that goes well, then my, my day usually starts off on the right foot.
0: One common thing across almost every high performer that I have on this podcast, including you, is really just that moment to kind of set your day on the right foot by just kind of being quiet and with yourself and having a moment of stillness. I definitely have a much better day when I'm able to incorporate that into my morning routine.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So last question, if the listeners could make only one change in their lives to improve their overall health and well-being right now, what would you recommend it be?
2: I actually think the best thing that most of us could do is to sleep better. Mm. Um, that's something after I left the emergency department and, you know, when I was in the ER, I slept off. You know, I was working at 4 a.m. So I would get up at 3 to go to work and I was sleeping like three hours a night or four or, you know, like, I had kids. It was just a mess. And I hadn't, I hadn't slept well for, you know, 10 years because of that. And I, I, when I first started sleeping well, after I left the ER, I, it made such a difference in my life. Like, all of a sudden, it didn't matter as much what I ate. It didn't matter as much, like, what happened to me during the day. It didn't matter, you know, it didn't matter if my kids were awful. Like, just getting good sleep, it, you know, it just it, it changes all your hormonal balance. It, it, there's so many things with sleep now that we're learning But I think that if if we could all sleep better, we'd probably be much happier people.
1: Mm,
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sleep is the one thing that I continually focus on. And I don't think I'll ever get to a point where I'm like, yep, I'm good. Sleep is good. Moving on to something else. It'll always be something that I'm working to improve because of its effects on everything. And because, you know, specifically I'm a neuroscientist and I'm very interested in what's going on in the brain... Sleep is when you know our little glial cells are active and going around and cleaning up and doing their job to do the neural pruning within our brain and consolidating memories and solidifying neural pathways. So, um, you know, for us to have cognitive function as well as physical function and be um, optimal with our health and well-being, we absolutely need quality sleep and. I don't care who you are, you know, six hours or less is really just not going to cut it.
2: No, (laughs) that's totally true.
0: So I am going to offer up questions to the audience. So we will actually start with Lucky. Hi, my question is about facial veins. Um, So about two years ago, I experienced quite a bit of stress. And
2: I literally, I, I went from being able to sleep like eight hours a night, to not being able to get sleep at all. Like I was barely getting an hour of sleep, and within a few months, I noticed um two um, prominent um facial veins. I so I'm trying to um figure out a natural way that I can um try to treat it before I go the surgical route. Yeah. Um, one thing you might start with is trying doing some like lymphatic drainage um, techniques on your skin in the mornings and you can look up some videos on how to do that but essentially kind of trying to move some of the the fluid in the lymph the lymph drainage um, in you know out of your face kind of into the rest of your circulation sometimes you can kind of get you can kind of get buildup of some of that, and that can cause your veins to look bigger because of that. Uh, the other thing that can happen is your skin can be getting thinner, and of course, if that's that happens to all of us as we age, and especially if you're stressed out over time, that can cause uh, thinning of the skin faster. And if that's the case, then you know something where you're where you're able to improve the skin health, whether that's with procedures or just you know skincare, or even something like Sculptra injections or things like that, where you're able to use fillers and things to kind of improve the the skin that way is another is another option. And then after that, you know, you could certainly talk to a plastic surgeon and see if surgery or something is an option, but, you know, probably is, is not needed if you work with some of the other ways around it. And are there any supplements I can take to help as well, like help reduce them? I can't think of anything specifically that's going to reduce vein size, but certainly anything that's going to be helping to improve um, circulation, you could think about, like, for instance, fish oil, omega-3 fatty acids, you know, anti-inflammatory, things like that. But I'm not sure if they're going to change the actual size of your vein. Thank you. You're welcome.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Lucky. It looks like, uh, Quat. I am inviting you up to the stage to ask your question.
1: Hey, thanks. Uh, my question is about... Um, specific type of acne that you get from
0: wrestling, MMA fights, boxing, jiu So I noticed that during the wintertime when I train and uh, the places of my face that hit the uh, other person, gloves or other people's body, they, uh, they inflame and they, I get some kind of cystic acne around the place of contact and any advice on how to uh, fix it, make it less. Thanks.
2: Yeah, um, so yeah, that that could be from a number of, you know, it could just be bacteria, obviously, if you're getting hit with other people's gloves, mats, things like that, bacterial infections. Um, And bacteria causes a lot of acne. Uh, Fungal infections or something else, we see it in in a lot of wrestlers and people who are in gyms, and that can certainly contribute. Um, You know, the main things I would do probably, I'm sure you're already doing, is making sure that you're, as soon as you are done with your wrestling or your fight, to wash your face really well, to bring a cleanser with you to the gym so that you can wash your face, you know, bring a clean towel, things like that. Um, you could also start using something like um, a retinol or retinoid every night before bed, um, or even something stronger like a tretinoin, where essentially we're, you're trying to kind of help combat some of that, that acne. Certainly, if it gets if it gets really bad, you could look into antimicrobials of you know antibiotics, things like that. But but if it's if it's just happening when you fight and it's only go, and it's going away afterwards, then I would just really work on what you're doing to care for your skin after you know all of those matches or, or wrestling events
0: makes sense and do you recommend anything to put before
2: i don't have anything off the top of my head that i would recommend um because you're you know once you get hit with that dirty whatever it is it's probably like the main thing is going to be to clean your face and then and then try to help prevent any <laughs> infection afterwards um maybe encourage the people you're fighting to you know clean their gloves occasionally.
0: Like (laughs) like, that might help. That's never going (laughs) to (laughs) happen. Yeah, probably not. Okay. We have Emily next. My question is, um, I recently came across some literature that was pointing to the potential link between hyaluronic acid and cancer, both topical use as well as uh, injectable. And so I wanted to hear your take on this and if there's any validity to that. Um, you know,
2: I haven't seen those studies, um, but I, I do know that there's, that hyaluronic acid has been, it's, you know, obviously it's already in our skin. Like that's a big part of our skin as it is. It's it's the part of our skin that gives us the ability to retain water. So hyaluronic acid, each molecule can can, can uh, hold about a thousand times its weight in water, which is what makes us look young. And as we get older, we lose hyaluronic acid, which is why our skin dries out with time. Um, Certainly, there are a number of skin products that have hyaluronic acid in them that you apply topically. Um, And then you can also, like like you suggest, you can also inject them. So things like Juvederm or Restylane, those are injectable forms. Um, I I have not seen at least good data that it's going to cause cancer. And I know that there's, you know, millions of people get fillers every year. So I would think that if that was a real concern, that we would really have a lot of good evidence for it at this point, but I'll look into it because I'm not really familiar familiar with those studies. Great, thank you.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Emily. Okay, next we have Jason.
1: Hi, my question is, have you used any, uh, back to Emily's question, any natural hyaluronic uh, acid-based products for cosmetic use, um, specifically perinatal tissue-based?
2: Yeah. I use, um, I use amniotic fluid type products. I've used exosome products. for I've been using those kinds of products for about three, th- well, exosome sort of specific products for about three years. I've used amniotic products of various sorts for probably five or six years for skin. Um, I apply it topically and I also inject uh, into the dermis and the skin.
1: And what kind of results have you been seeing with that, call it, compared to say uh, a synthetic or uh, manufactured hyaluronic acid.
2: Um, the results are very different. The, the hyaluronic acids that I would use, like a Jupiter and wrestling those kinds of things, are really going to give you uh, volume in a specific area, like for instance the cheeks. They're going to give you, you know, volume immediately, and it's going to stay for, you know, six, six, nine months, a year, whatever. the The products that I've used that have, like, you know, like the amniotic fluid products that have hyaluronic acid in there, they are great for improving the health of the skin. But they don't actually provide a lot of volume for most people. They're not—they're not volume. You know, they, they essentially get uh, absorbed. I think too quickly for for the body. They're not cross-linked in the way that the other ones are. So they don't actually provide as much volume as the other kinds of products do.
1: Got it. Awesome.
0: Thank you. Thank you, you Jason. And we are done with our Q&A session. Amy, thank you for being such a good sport for this and trying this out with us. Yeah.
2: Thank you so much. And thank you all of you who stuck with us this whole time.
0: If the audience members are interested, where can they find you?
2: So I am very active on Instagram. I try to post there a lot. It's under Dr. Amy B. Killen. So please follow me if you're interested. Um, I also have some videos on YouTube, um, Amy Killen MD. And then I have several websites, but the easiest one to get to is probably amykillenmd.com. And then I'm on Clubhouse occasionally. I just got on pretty recently. So I'll try to be here more if I can.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amy. And thank you to everybody here who stuck with us for this live recording have a good day thanks bye everyone
1: I hope you liked this week's episode of the bio curious podcast if you enjoy listening and learn something please leave us a review and share it with someone that could benefit if you don't already follow our instagram at bio curious podcast for teasers of new episodes advice from old guests biohacking quizzes And if you tag this account with a screenshot of the episode, we will feature you on our story. Thank you for all the support, and have a good day.